So let's get into the word this morning. I'm excited again to bring the word. I'm always excited, but man, this word is so powerful. You can open it up and there's always inside information. There's always new understandings of the word because thank God that you know that this word is inexhaustible. Just when you thought you kind of knew something, guess what? There's a whole nother level to this that we are unaware of yet. John 3, 16, we've heard it, but we won't know the expanse of this verse until we actually get to heaven and go, oh, man, that's good. So there is so much to this, and I'm excited again for this morning. And we're going to continue talking about the grace of God. And one of the things that just been stirring in my heart again, as we've been talking about over the course of this time, is actually learning to value the person of Jesus. Value this, value God, value this man, God, Jesus Christ, and all that he did for us. Anybody want to, you know, have a deeper love and a value and appreciation for who he is? Well, that's what grace does. When you get into grace and study grace, and again, studying grace is a man. You get insight on who he is. So when you tap in and start unveiling grace, you're actually unveiling the goodness and kindness of Jesus himself. And so we're going to get into that. And I know, you know, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, I love this verse. The Apostle Paul ended off his, you know, letter to the Corinthian church just with this. He said, now by the grace and the joyous favor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for the grace? And not only that, but the joyous favor. He gets tremendous joy out of blessing you. Yeah, okay. The unambiguous love of God. And the precious communion that we share in the Holy Spirit be yours continually. Not just once in a while, but the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, His grace and the favor of God is supposed to follow you all the days of your life. And so for you and I, I don't know about you, but I want to experience more and more an understanding of this grace because I want to deepen my intimacy, deepen my value and appreciation for who Jesus is. Have you been saved for a long time? Yeah. Well, guess what? Did you know that when you start to get an understanding of the grace of God, it's like you're being born again all over again. That's really what it is. I mean, Christianity shouldn't be, well, I got saved. Man, it was awesome back in the 70s. Hoorah, man. Like anything just went wild. The Jesus people, we were just nuts. Anybody in that group? Now I'm aging y'all. Okay. All right. There we go. Okay. But you got excited. But did you know that wasn't just the highlight? It's supposed to be a progressive meaning. It gets better and better. He moves you from glory to glory. So you had an experience with Jesus yesterday. Guess what? Today is a new day that he wants to reveal more of himself, and his presence is for you today. So it's not just for special meetings, for a special conference, or a special worship set. Thank God for all those special moments. But you're supposed to have this regularly. It belongs to you. Thank God for it. And that's why I'm so thankful. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Now this is supposed to follow you and I regularly. Now I want to just reveal in John chapter 12, turn there please, because I want to just reveal, and I think in these couple short verses that we'll see, you're actually going to see two hearts being exposed about the value they had towards Jesus. And it says this in John chapter 12, verse 1. Now the, the town of Bethany, Jesus had visited there often because he had good friends there. You know, the previous chapter, John chapter 11, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead, and it was a good friend of his. Him and his sister Mary and Martha, they were friends with Jesus, and so Jesus would often go there. And now six days before the Passover began, so now remember, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus went back to Bethany, the town where he had raised Lazarus from the dead. Verse 2, they had prepared a supper for Jesus. Now I want this to create a picture on the inside of you, okay? 
They're having a beautiful, delicious meal about. Martha served it, and Lazarus and Mary were among those that were at the table. Mary picked up an alabaster jar filled with nearly a liter of extremely rare and costly perfume, the purest extract of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet. Then she wiped them dry with her long hair, and the fragrance of this costly oil, notice what did it do? It filled the house. Okay, there's one heart we're going we're to talk about in this sec. Verse 4. But Judas Iscariot the locksmith, Simon's son, the betrayer, spoke up. Now I notice you're, you're always going to get people that speak up and say something. Now what did he say, verse 5? What a waste. Say it with me. What a waste. What's he showing? He's revealing what's on the inside. What a waste. We could have sold this perfume for a fortune and given that money to the poor. I don't have verse 6 on there, but verse 6 would actually reveal and start saying that actually Judas didn't have any, he didn't care about the poor at all because he was the treasurer for Jesus' ministry, meaning he took care of all the finances that came in and he would regularly steal or take some and pocket it for himself. He had no interest in taking care of the poor. Now, I want to look at these two individuals just for a quick moment. Number one, Mary, she brought out a jar of very expensive fragrant oil, this perfume, so costly that it was a year's worth of wages. Okay, so what was the value of this? It's a year's worth of wages, so the hard work. When Mary's focus, when she poured out all of that oil, she wasn't thinking about all the, the, the time and the effort it took, how much toil it took for her to, you know, receive that jar. What was her focus? Her focus was Jesus. The focus was her Lord. Mary came in the middle of supper, while supper was being, you know, served, she stood up and knelt beside Jesus, almost overwhelmed with this adoration and this love for this Jesus man, that words weren't even enough to express it. And so she knelt beside it and just broke open this jar and started pouring this perfume and this oil all over his feet. And this response filled the entire room. To a point, actually, like, listen, talk about giving something to Jesus. We're even talking about it today. (laughs) This is how powerful this act of worship and adoration and love she had that. Yeah, there there was, of course, you can do it with words, but she was just so moved. Now, what we see with this, the the oil being poured out was simply just a revelation of what was going on on the inside of her. It was an act to reveal, this is what's going on inside of me. I can't help but pour the entire, you know, year's worth of oil all over this man's feet. I love him. Now, on the other hand, Judas, the treasurer, as soon as he saw Mary, what she was doing, what were his three words? What a waste. Now, he only got a glance of the jar and he knew exactly how much was in it. Did anybody say that it was nearly, uh, did did Mary say, hey, everybody, I got a year's worth of perfume right here. No, she didn't say anything. But Judas, his whole focus, you know, the sad point is that Judas, he could just look at the jar and he knew exactly what was there, but he couldn't see the value of Jesus. So shortly after scolding Mary, what was happening, you see actually the next chapter over, you see Judas going to the high priests, and he sold Jesus out for how many pieces of silver? 30. He didn't even negotiate with him. He just said, how much would you give me for this man Jesus? So you see how little Judas valued 
Jesus. Didn't even argue with him. He 30 pieces. Judas was willing to betray Jesus. And so Mary, again, on the other hand, knew the value and esteemed Jesus greatly, anointing Jesus with her most valuable possession. And as we said, it was simply an outward expression of just how much she loved, valued, and cherished Jesus on the inside. What Judas saw as waste, Mary saw as worship. How do you get to that place? How do you come to that understanding where you could be overwhelmed and just in awe of who this Jesus is? Anybody ever ask that question or think that, man? Like, you see some people and they just go, man, they, they love the Lord. How, how do you do that? Is it, are you born a little bit differently? Are you just a little bit nuttier to begin? Like, what's wrong with you? Anybody ever ask that question? Because sometimes you see people and it's like, what's, how, how? How do you love Jesus like that? How come you can just lift up your hands and start worshiping him? Because we've seen and tasted of his goodness. So for you and I, what we're doing is we're uncovering this talk topic. What we're uncovering grace. And when you see grace, when you see Jesus, you can't help but fall in love with him all over again. It's this white hot passion. And in fact, the scriptures tell us, Romans chapter 12, verse 11, that really how we're supposed to live our Christian life, it's supposed to be boiling hot with passion. Can I read it to you real quick? Let me just find that verse. Let me see if I can pull it up here. Romans 12. Does anybody know what that verse is? (laughs) I tell you, a smart bunch here today. Yeah. Ah, there it is. Romans 12, 11. It says, be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping your passion toward him boiling hot. So what's my responsibility? Is to keep myself boiling hot. 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 For who? For him. How do I do that? He says also, radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit and let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. So it's not supposed to be like, oh, Finally, you know, when the rapture takes place, okay, Jesus, let's go, let's take this thing. He's coming back for a bride that cannot wait to see him. I mean, when that trumpet blows, are you kidding me? Dun, 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 dun. That's what I'm talking about. Let's go. You are excited to see him. It's not this, oh, I'm not quite, I don't know. Man, when you, remember when you first fell in love with your husband or wife? Remember that? When you first, when you saw them or when you went on that date, you were just <gasps> head over heels, eyes bulging out of your head and just going, man, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right? Remember that? That's not supposed to be just at your first days and having clucks and fries with your future wife. That was our first date, clucks and fries at, uh, what's that restaurant? My wife's not here. Somewhere. We're celebrating 14 years on Wednesday. Wow. I know. She, I always say, you're welcome. But that doesn't... <laughs> No, I'm married up. I tell you that. I'm very thankful for that. Now, let's go back to this. How do I deepen my love and appreciation for the Lord? Is that I see what His grace has accomplished and given to me as an inheritance. When you see what He did for you, it changes everything. Now, as we said, grace is all about unveiling the person and the value of Jesus. Have you ever heard it said, reading your Bible is a waste of time? Praying in tongues is a waste of time? Going to church is a waste of time? Why do you do that? Why do you serve in the local church? What a waste of time. Bringing your tithes to the church? What a a waste. What are you doing? Do you know that voice will always be in this earth? Why? Because they do not see the value of this man, Jesus. 
He laid down his life for me. So Jesus, my life belongs to you. I, I get to. Rather than I have to, I get to do church. I get to come to church. I get to be part of church. I get to bring my supply to the church. That's what I get to do. I get to love my brothers and sisters. I don't have to. I get to. Why? Because he loved me first, and out of his love for me, it's a response. Now, my love and my lifestyle of love comes out this way. So again, grace is always first. He started the whole thing. He initiated the whole thing. So my life is simply a response. So wherever you're sitting, aren't you thankful that you have a father that knows exactly where you're at, what's going on in your heart, knows what's going on with your mind, knows what's going on in your life. He is able to reach you right where you're at, but you have to. God knows that, but he needs an access point, meaning give me something to work with. Open up your heart to me. Like just even sometimes, just listening to his word. Okay, Lord, I'm, I'm, I don't quite know. I want to be further in love with you, but I'm just kind of blah, 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 blah. Let him love you on the inside, and it'll turn you up. So that's what we're doing. Okay, and thank you for your excitement on that. Now, and again, John 16, 14, I'm thankful because, again, the Holy Spirit's job, when, he, when the Father sent him, this is what Jesus said just before he died, that when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he is going to glorify me. Talking Jesus saying, he's going to glorify Jesus on the earth, for he will receive from Jesus what is his, and he's going to reveal it to you and I. So everything that the Father has it belongs to Jesus. And Jesus said, everything I have belongs to you. Everything the Father has belongs to you. And the Spirit of God's job is to what? Reveal and show you what grace has revealed and done for you. I know a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago now, that we talked about that grace, there's a certain frequency that grace speaks from. And a lot of times, people aren't hearing it. Why? It's because they are so stuck in the carnal. They're so stuck on the five physical senses. They're so stuck on what they can feel, what they can see, what they can touch, how their emotions are. They're being led by, well, I got to feel something in worship in order for there to be something that God is here. You don't need any of that. What do you need? You have his word that he inhabits the praises of his people. Feelings will always follow your stance and your belief in the word of God. We don't have to go by that. That's why you could come into worship and feel like, man, I don't want to do any of this. You get to. Right, Carrie? Did you want to say that? Is that? You don't have to. You get to worship. And that's why it changes everything. We get to go into his presence. We get to experience his goodness. We get to do all of that. We didn't have to. We get to. So you didn't just come in with that mindset, man. I don't have to pay a time. I get to. Oh, man. Okay, now let's go into this. Now, remember, I want to give you this definition. I got this definition from another minister, great, great man of God. And if you put it up there, it's uh, grace, and just talking about grace. How do you define grace? Because people have a number of different ideas. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is this. And that's all good. But to be able to capture what grace is is difficult because it's Jesus. There's so much to him. He's high, he's wide, he's deep, he's long. There's so much to this man, Jesus, that, you know, I remember even hearing another minister, this is Kenneth E. Hagin, when he went to heaven, somebody asked him and went, hey, what, what's he like? Like, can you explain some of his characteristics? And people, again, looking for the natural, like, what, what, what does he look like? And that's all great. Really, it doesn't matter. What matters, the first thing that he says is, I looked into his eyes and he said, it looked like wells of love. Wow. 
He said, I don't even know how to say it, but it's like he knows how to pick you out in all these millions. And the moment he looks at you, it's like it's just you and him in a room. This is a love God. And now this is, the, this is what he gave. And I, I, I really personally liked it because it just helped narrow down this huge topic of grace. Grace is the unmerited, abounding provision of the unrestrained operations of God's infinite love that comes through Jesus Christ on behalf of men, especially to those who depend on him. Can you go back to the first one there? So let's read this out together. Grace is the unmerited, abounding provision. Hold on. The abounding provision. Abounding. What's abounding? Limitless. Too much. Too much provision. Now notice this. Why is it abounding provision? Because of the unrestrained operation of God's infinite love. We talked about this kind of near the beginning when we start talking about grace. Is that at one point God was restrained to love mankind because God is just, but he's also love. So God had to do something. Not only did the cross mean something for mankind, thank you, Jesus, but it also satisfied the justice of God. Now God is able to love you without any restraints. Why? Because all sin has been judged. So now God looks at you and goes, let me lavish you, boy. Woo! That's what I'm talking about. That's what he's interested in doing. And he can do that now because of what Jesus has done. As we see the next part here, it says through, or that comes through Jesus Christ on behalf of all men. Grace is available to whosoever, right? The whole world can be affected by it, is affected by it. They need to respond to it though, right? Especially to those who depend on him. I believe in the coming weeks, I'm going to get more into that, but the dependency on him, that's what you are meant for. You are not meant to, oh yeah, I depend on God for the tough stuff, like getting to heaven, but the rest I can figure out on my own. No, you can't. You stink on your own. How do you know? Try not showering for like five days. See how good you do. You and I need him. He's the source. I am not. Say it. He's the source. I am not. All right, now grace has acted first towards all mankind. Grace always initiates. We simply respond. It makes the Christian life so much easier. When you understand what God has already done, now my job is to simply respond, believing to what he's already done for me. So kind of what Aaron was just sharing during the offering message, I don't have to toil or try to make this living. My job is simply to respond to what he's provided for me and let him lead me into where I need to go. It changes life. It's not about a driven life. It's about being led in life. There's a whole lot of spokes out here. So let's just get into this. Romans chapter 5, verse 19. It says, One man's disobedience opened the door for all humanity to become sinners. Now, again, we don't live here or we don't dwell there. There are many, many, many churches that stay there. God love them, but that's not where it ends. We don't talk about one man's disobedience and we live in that state where, oh yeah, Adam sinned, so I guess we're all just sinners. It's just part of the fall, so this is where I got to live. No. Then he says, so also. Say with me, so also. Other translations say, but. 
hold on a sec, one man's obedience now opened the door for many to be made perfectly right with him and acceptable to God. So I don't know about you, but I want to focus on that side. And that's what this whole Christian life is, is you and I getting out of ourselves and start shining the big light on Jesus. And what did his obedience do on my behalf? Because what Jesus did is substitutionary work. He did it for me. And it's been accredited to my account. So when God looks at me, he says, it's a, it's a done deal. He's not looking, oh, yeah, you need this, you need that, you need, oh, yeah, you need a few things. Oh, yeah, you're lacking a lot of this. He looks at you and says, you're complete in him. That's how he sees you. So you and I are, again, in this process of changing the way that we think to start looking at what Jesus did at the cross and his resurrection. God says, I'm complete. Guess what I say? I'm complete in him. I'm complete in Jesus. That's my response, that's my belief, and that's what this whole Christian life is, is changing the way we think to line up with what Jesus has done for me. We got a whoop whoop on that, we're we're good? Whoop whoop, okay. Now, what has Jesus accomplished? His obedience, look at this in John 19 verse 30, we're going to get into this. But when Jesus had tasted, talk about the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Say it with me one more time. It is finished. Then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. What, what is he talking about? It is finished. Now, when you look at this word Greek, it's teleo. Paul shouted with me, teleo! When he hung on that cross, he said, teleo! Meaning what? And what that Greek work, it points out two things for us. Are you ready? Number one is this. Teleo is an ending or something that is expired. Teleo also means to complete or accomplish. So what did Jesus do when he hung on that cross? And these are his last words. Aren't man powerful? As he hung there. Man, on his way down, he still shouted out profound words that ring into eternity. I believe that's one thing that I want to just hear is how he said that on the cross. Teleo. Because at that word, my life changed. Your life changed. This whole human race's life has the potential for great change at these words, teleo. The devil thought he won. The devil's going, that's what I'm talking about. Finally took out the son of God. Now he's taken care of only to be found out three days later. It ain't over. He's like, shoot, this thing just started. And now the problem that Satan had with Jesus for three and a half years, he now breathed on his disciples. There was 11 of them. 70 now that all of a sudden they went to the upper room. There was 500 sitting there. They all got born again, filled with the Holy Ghost. Now it's not just one man he had a problem with. Now there's 500 people that are saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, tongue-talking, baptizer. They're crazy folk for Jesus. And they turned the whole world upside down. How? How? Taleo! Something happened. So let's find out what this would happen. What was completed or what was accomplished? And I'm going to just give three really churchy words, okay? But we're going to go into it because you can't just change these words. They're, they're crucial to what the Bible actually says. Number one is redemption. Teleo, redemption, propitiation, and reconciliation, they all, are in, they all tie together at some point, but we're going to go into the first one today. I want to just talk about our redemption for a little bit today. Because again, we're talking about, I want to understand and go in deeper love with this, this man, Jesus. We'll see what he did for you. 
And when you understand what redemption is, it'll, it'll change you. Now you can't wait. All of a sudden, you'll be just, um, don't bring your perfume bottles next week. You just, you keep that. The Lord wants you to just sing, okay? Sing a new song to the Lord. We don't want to have different scents going on in here. Cool? Okay. All right. Now, thank you for that. Now, it's time, again, as we're going into this, it's time that we believers, we become well-informed through what the Scripture says and what Jesus did because you do not beat the devil with emotion. You don't beat the devil with just more willpower, and I'm going to, you defeat him with the word. And a lot of times, the devil has actually hurt more people through half-truths. So what do we need? We actually need to see what the word of God actually says from the word of God so that when the devil pokes his ugly head up, you know how to shut him up, you know how to put him back in his place, and you know how to keep continuing to step on his neck, right? Okay, so let's talk about this word, redemption. Redemption is, again, these words. I hope that you write some of these down because it's crucial for your and I study. I believe this is a word for us as a church family. you got to get this on the inside of you because the devil, he's going to keep talking. He's going to keep putting out these accusing voices and don't say, I don't know what to do. Here is the arsenal. Here's your weapons. It's being handed out. The word is being dished out. This is what redemption means. Number one, it says this is an apolostris or exegreso. Right? What does that mean? Redemption simply means this. It's to purchase out of slavery by a ransom payment. Say it with me. So when you hear the word redemption, this is what I want you to hear, is that I've been purchased out of slavery. Come on. Redemption. Purchase out of slavery. Redemption. By a ransom. I've been purchased out of slavery by a payment, by a ransom, okay? Redemption, I've been purchased out of slavery by a ransom. Now, redemption views mankind as born into the slave market through Adam's original sin. So the slave market has actually been going since the Garden of Eden. It's always been there. Our slavery was not God's fault or you know, or, any, or the, you know, heaven's fault at all. It was the original human, our original human father, Adam. It was his fault who listened to Satan and obeyed his voice. Adam, the moment he heard and obeyed, or, you know, Eve took that, and he, she heard it. She was deceived. She ate the fruit, gave it to Adam. He did eat. And it says the moment that they took that, their eyes were opened and they became dead. But God now had to find a way to purchase us out of slavery okay now genesis 1 26 and 27 turn there for a moment god said let us now notice he's saying let us who's he talking to you got the father son you got the holy spirit he says let us make man in our image that word image talks about our spirits according to our likeness our bodies let them, talking about mankind, what are they going to have? Dominion. Say it with me. Dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Right? Now notice, do we have authority over any people? No. Men aren't supposed to dominate men. 
And when I say men, I also mean I'm talking about male men and female, right? You, you understand that? Okay. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So that solves a lot of confusion right there. So you know, a lot of times that we, we're, people are too, really, they're just too, too smart for their own good. They, they're, it, it makes no sense. When you just come back to the basics of what the Bible says, it brings so much clarity, and in clarity, there's freedom. Like, I, I, listen, we will never condemn a generation we're trying to reach. So you'll never hear us, we are not going to bash anybody that is struggling with their identity in sexual things. They're looking for an answer. You know what the enemy's after? Identity, 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 identity. It happened here when Satan uh, attacked Jesus in the desert. Who was he after? If you really are the son of God. What is that? Identity. So I'm about you and I, but I'm stirred up to reach this next generation because they need to hear this truth. And I know this, that this generation will be saved. They will absolutely go beyond anything we could ever imagine because they're so brilliant. Have you seen them on technology? They're brilliant. We would get this gospel, bing, 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 across the earth, and we'll be like, whoa, what, what, what? So what do we do? We get the word out. Okay. Now, again, Adam and Eve's spirits were created in the image of God, and Adam and Eve's bodies now, they were fashioned after God's likeness. God is a spirit. He doesn't have a physical body, but he does have hands, eyes, ears, feet, right? That's why he created us in his likeness. Now, God gave this command in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. One page over, he says, Out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you guys can bring it up, it says this, that you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat, you will surely die. The Hebrew actually says, if you eat it, you shall die, die. The English, we have to just throw in there the word surely. Why is the word surely? Because when, when you die, there's two deaths that take place. Number one, death is spiritual death, which means complete separation from God. And spiritual death leads you into the second death, which is physical. Because they were dead spiritually, the physical death had to eventually happen. Even though it took 930 years for Satan to teach Adam how to die. Think about it. They don't know how to die. On this planet now in 2022, it's like people know how to die. How do we do it? We know how to talk crappy. And what happens? Blah, takes you right out. Oh, that, man, that, you, you almost killed me. Man, that scared me to death. Oh, my God, I'm going to die. And we just kind of think, ha, 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 not realizing those are actually, you're a spirit being. Anyways, that's for a whole other session. <laughs> but had they never sinned, their spirits would never have died, and neither would have their bodies. They would have still been present today. They would have been part of Impact Life Church. <laughs> they're like I'm looking for a little bit of a colder climate alright and then secondly they would have produced children in their image and likeness which was just like God's right but then we see of course in Genesis chapter 3 like Aaron said page 3 of the Bible we see the temptation and the fall of mankind and this affected everyone as we saw in you know, Romans chapter 5 verse 19 remember again it says one man's disobedience Open the door for all humanity to become sinners. 
This is the first time that you could actually say that I was a victim. I didn't do that, no, but our great, 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 great grandfather did. He opened the door and it gave Satan in. Now listen, the moment, I'm jumping ahead. Adam and Eve never had kids in paradise. They had them after the fall, right? The result of that is that they reproduced who they were. Their children were born into spiritual death, resulting in physical death. So as soon as they had kids, what were they? They were dead to God, spiritually. Okay, are, we, are we okay here? You can see that? Okay. So the children of Adam and Eve were all born into this fallen image and into this fallen likeness. Look at Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 through 3. It says this, that this is the book of genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. Now verse 3, and Adam lived 130 years and he had a son. Now notice, in whose likeness? In Adam's own likeness, talking about his, his body, right? So he produced what he probably looked like Adam. And after his image, what is image? His spirit. At this point in Genesis chapter 5, what was Adam? He was a fallen being. Was Adam dead to God spiritually? Come on, y'all, this is huge. I know, you know, do I need all this thing? Because when the devil puts his little head up there, you're going to have to put some of these things in place and go, no, no, wait a minute. This is not who I am anymore. So we need to see this right here. Adam was a fallen being. He got born again backwards. Right? And so he had kids. And what were all of his kids like? They were in his likeness after his own image. And they named him Seth. So I'm not going to read all the rest. But you see the genealogy and Seth begat. And you read all those. Anybody go through the genealogies looking for their kid's name? (laughs) Man, that's crazy. But you see all of those things, you start reading them all, start reading them all, and you can see them all. Every son, every daughter that was born from them were all in the slave market. Okay. Now, the entrance into the slave market was Adam's disobedience to God eating from the forbidden tree. The slave market has a door that can only be opened from the outside. And once they, Adam and Eve, walked in through their disobedience, the door, they shut the door behind them, leaving God out. So now here they are. I want you to just kind of picture a huge box here. And here they are reproducing. They're having kids. And their kids are having kids. And there's all the way down, all the way down, continuing going on until this room is jam-packed with dead People who are stuck in the slave market. All of us are here. Okay. They were trapped, and all, as I said, all their descendants would be born inside the slave market, and children now cannot free themselves. Slaves can't free slaves. Right? Okay. Slaves, as we say, cannot free themselves. A slave cannot say, I will work harder than the others, the other slaves around me, and then I'll be free. You cannot be a good slave to get you out. I'm a nice slave, though. I'm the nicest of all the nice. I'm the nicest slave. But a nice slave can't get you out. The issue isn't if you are a good slave or you were a nice slave. The issue is you are a slave. Say it with me. I was... A slave. 
That's the issue, is that I'm stuck in this slavehood. Now, as we try to outdo, and you know what the funny thing is, <laughs> is that as we, you get more and more into this, uh, we are surrounded by slaves of all nationalities, colors, professions, men, women, plethora of us. There's a number of us. And now, as we try to outdo one another, we try to say, well, I'm better than so-and-so. All you're doing is you're jockeying for position in the slave market. We got people that are high up in leadership in governments. We got people that are, you know, cleaning trash buckets. You got people that are educated in this year. You got people that are educated over here. You got people that really have no education. Nobody is better than each other in this slave market. The issue isn't the color of your skin. The issue isn't if you are a man or a woman. The issue isn't what kind of job you have or how smart you went because you went to college. The issue is you are a slave. That's the issue. So what you see competing in the world, they're doing all this. They're just jockeying to get a higher rank in the slave system. That's what it is. <laughs> okay. So what did we need? God had a great plan. In Genesis 3.15, you actually see Jesus. Now, now he's mentioned in this part that God, God said this to Satan. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall. Say with me. He shall. What's he going to do? He's going to bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. Jesus is mentioned right here. What did we need? We have to have somebody that is born outside the slave market. Now, there's only been three people that have not been in the slave market. Adam and Eve, they were created outside of it. And Jesus. God had this plan. So you see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, well, how, how did, you know, you know, God couldn't come down in there and all of a sudden break, break us open. A man got us in the mess. A man had to get us out of the mess. So what did he do? And this is the crux of all, our whole Christian belief is that Jesus was born of a virgin. Like, think about that. I'm going to use the seed of the woman, but now God's like, I'm going to use the seed of a woman. I'm going to impregnate her through the Spirit of God, planting the seed, the Word of God, into her, and out comes this son who is outside of the slave market because the genealogy falls through the male. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus, long before, said, Father, I'll do it. From heaven. When he could have just said, this bunch disobeyed me and we didn't even get three pages into the Bible. <laughs> three pages in. Stupid. Right? Anybody ever see there's a one meme or whatever when it's like, it's just this, there's like this grade eight kid, picture day, he looks ridiculous, but he just kind of standing like this. And it's like the, the meme is, um, when, when all of us believers get up to heaven, we see Adam and Eve. <laughs> three, three pages in, man. <laughs> but regardless of all that, Jesus, again, was born outside of it. What qualified Jesus to be our Redeemer is that he was born outside of the slave market. The blood of Jesus was the cost to redeem mankind, and through his shed blood now, the door to the slave market is opened. Adam and Eve went in there, closed it. It could only be opened from the outside. You needed a third party. Oh, who's going to go? Jesus said, you did not want, desire that we continue to do these burnt offerings, but you desired me. I'll do it, Lord. I'll do it. Here I am. Use my life. Here I am. Let me be the sacrifice. So Jesus willingly took upon himself the sin of the entire human race from Adam all the way to this, we're out of here. 
He has taken care of all of it. And he died on the cross with it. And what did he do on his way up when he resurrected from the dead? He opened the door to the slave market. And he, I believe this, Taleo! What's finished? What's completed? The slave market is done. That's the good news of the gospel. Is what, are we, what are we preaching? The door is open. Your sin is not keeping you in. He took all the sin upon himself. There's no adultery. There's no you know, wrong, evil thoughts. There's no lying, stealing, murder. All that stuff it can't keep you in here. The door's been blasted open. So what keeps people in the slave market? Their attitude towards Jesus. He's there. You know, Titus even says that the grace of God has appeared before all men. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. The grace of God has appeared towards all men. So what do we have to do? This is our message as we go, get out of the slave jail. It's open. The door is cracked wide open. This is why the message we preach isn't to walk into this slave market and say, you're a bunch of sinners. You're useless. You're no good. Yeah, we know. So what's our message? Oh, oh, uh, the door's open. Directing traffic, directing traffic. And what do we say? Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This is how you get out of this door, is receive him. Acknowledge him as King of kings. Acknowledge him as Lord and the Redeemer of men. Say that with your lips. Believe it in your heart. And the Bible says, and here you are saved. Here you are completely, totally, 100% free. Why? Taleo. Taleo. It is finished. Now, again, as we said, the question that we have to ask ourselves is not what do I have to do to get out, is who do I want to be connected to? Do I want to be connected to Adam and his sin? Or do I want to be connected to Christ and what he did? You know, staying a slave is a choice. People say, I don't have a choice. No, everybody got a choice. This is the wonderful thing about what Satan and all that he did. What he did, he forced all humanity to become sinners. He put that upon every single one of us. The goodness and the love of God is he will never take over somebody's choice and their will. So he says, the door's wide open. Choose. What do you want to do with this? Door's open. I'm, I'm choosing the way out. Anybody else choosing the way out? And if you haven't done that, guess what? Today's your day. The door's been blasted open, not by how nice you are, not by how good you are. All of that means nothing. It's all about how good and how kind and gracious our God is. And when you believe that, you're free. That's the grace of God. That's what Jesus did. And that's why I have no problem lifting my hands in adoration. This man died for me. Like, think about it. Even I, I like to really watch uh, war movies. I enjoy a good war movie. And a lot of times you see other men giving their lives for another guy. Man, how could I not? Man, I, thank you. You live conscious of this guy. This guy gave his life for me. Thank you. Thank you. Well, how much more for eternity, this man, Jesus, to open that door wasn't a simple task. It wasn't just whoosh. God, do it. No, he had to pour out every single drop of blood upon this altar and say, Taleo, it's finished. It cost him everything. He left heaven as deity, came to this earth as a man. Huh? Are you kidding me? Man, okay. 
1 Corinthians 15, look at this, 21. It says, since death came through a man, Adam, it is fitting that the resurrection of the dead has also come through a man, Christ. Verse 22, even as all who are in Adam die, so also all who are in Christ will be what? Will be made alive. I'm going to flip through some of these scriptures real quick because i got about five minutes. Colossians 1.13, he says, he has. Say with me, he has. He has. He has. Verse 13, guys, you can put it up there. He has rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness. Completely. Not, you know, one foot in, one foot. Completely free. And he has translated us into the kingdom realm of his beloved son. For in the son, all of our sins are canceled and we have the release of redemption through his very blood. I'm completely free. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, it says, With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once and for all time. And listen to these words. And he secured our redemption forever. You're forever taken care of. Come on, y'all. Somebody needs to hear that. Forever. Forever taken care of. Oh, man, like, Lord, I, I really messed up. And you think he's just going to throw you back into the slammer? Say, back to the slavehood you go? You are forgetting what Jesus has done. You're forgetting the value of what this man has done. Not only value for us, but how the Father sees Jesus and how precious and valuable it was. The Father looks at it, and when he smelt the blood of Jesus and the cleansing blood of what it did, it says it's a fine aroma that went into his nostrils. And he looks at you and says, not guilty. Oh, man, I love that smell. That's a smell of love. That's a smell of sacrifice. It's a pleasing aroma, Ephesians 5 says. It's a pleasing aroma that went to the Father's nostrils, and he says that door will remain open forever. It's finally secure so that no matter how nasty a slave is, no matter how confused they may be in their own selves, no matter how dirty and wrong it may be, they have full access out of this prison because of... Oh, Jesus, because of my son. That's the message we preach. So again, you cannot reach a generation that you condemn. It's impossible. And that's what religion gets so stuck up on. Religion focuses on how nasty they are in here. Yeah, but you were in there too. Did you forget that? How nasty you were while you were in here. And then what happened? The blood of Jesus cleansed you. It completely washed you clean. Now, rather than saying how nasty they smell, say, look how good we smell over here. Come on over. Last verse, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says, we all, and this is what they preach a lot, we all have sinned and in need of the glory of God. Is that true? Yes. yes. Verse 24, it says, yet though, through this powerful declaration of acquittal, other translations say through his redemptive power, God freely, freely, come on, say it with me, freely gives away his righteousness. He freely gave it. His gift of love and favor now cascades all over you, all because of what you did as a slave. All because of Jesus, the anointed one. What has he done? He has liberated us from the guilt, the punishment, and the power of sin. I don't know about you, but for you and I, the enemy, what he wants to do, he wants to bring you back into this place of slavehood. 
He wants to constantly remind you of how nasty you were, what you did, what you could have done, what you should have done. And how do I know I'm still stuck in religion? Is by the fact that my whole relationship with the Lord is about me. It's about what I do. It's about what I didn't do. When in fact, this whole relationship is about Jesus, what you did. And I simply go, I believe it. That's my relationship. That's what a relationship with him looks like. It's simply, let's practice this. Look up and say, I believe it. Grace says you're free. I believe it. But I, but I don't feel it. Your feelings may be still tied up in what you did. Your feelings may be still stuck in this whole, this whole system that you're still, I'm still a slave. This is what I did. This is what I did. But what has Jesus done? He has removed and completely set you free out of that. So what do I do? I have a choice. Do I agree with this or do I agree with what Christ has done for me? The choice is up to you and I. Amen? Let's all stand up together. I don't know about you, but enough is enough. The devil keeps wanting to drag some of you back into this place, into this slavehood mentality, and go, see? See, this is what you did. And all you can say, you can say that, that was before I knew Jesus. Or you say, yeah, hey, I may, have, yeah, I may have messed that up. Well, make it right and say, Lord, teach me how to work now. How, teach me how to do that properly. Don't let him keep you in slavehood. Reason why? Jesus paid a huge price to set you and I free. So where do we go from here? I think we need to set a few things straight. In your own self, I mean, if you are being bombarded, the accuser is talking to you, shut him up. Can you guys put the last verse on down there again? Romans 3, verse 24, the latter part of it. His gift of love and favor, it cascades all over you. Oh, I don't feel it. You don't need to. What do I do? I believe it. Okay, what what does that look like? Practically speaking, okay, you wake up Monday morning, the guilt, oh, Lord, man, this is what I did, this is what happened. Hold on. No, 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 no. I stepped out of that slavehood cage, and now here I am standing under the favor, which is now cascading all over me because of what Jesus has done. See, the devil will constantly bring you back, but you say, no, 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 devil, listen to this. Jesus did this On my behalf. He freed me from guilt. He freed me from the punishment of my sin. And not only that, he freed me from the power that sin tried to hold me into. So what do you do? I'm free. And you can just start going, Lord, I thank you. I'm free. I'm free. But you may go, I don't don't feel it. Forget about the feelings. And we start going, the word says. Because the devil's good at playing and toying with your mind. Ah, you did. Ah, I caught you. You know what you did last summer? And you'll start doing all these types of things in your brain. But you go, yeah, but God. This is what his word says. I am forgiven. I am free. Oh, Jesus said, Taleo. And the moment, hey, devil, remember when he said Taleo and you thought you won? What happened three days later? Come on, sickness sickness strikes coming into my body. Sickness tries attacking one of my kids. What do I do? Taleo. Y'all, we're a little too nice with the devil. You think this is, well, devil, can you just move? He hates you. He hates your kids. He hates your money. He hates everything that you got. So what is he after? Steal, kill, and destroy. And we're just like, well, you know, devil, if you could just be a little, you know, please leave me alone. You shut that loser up. How? I love to say, it's a done deal. What does that mean? My son, 
My daughter, they are healed by the stripes of Jesus. Get your stinking hands off of them now. Well, nothing's changed. It's not up to you to change anything. Your job is to believe Taleo. You believe it's finished. It's a done deal. So what do I do? I rest in the finished work. I rest in the Taleo word. It's a done deal on my behalf. My children, they're coming home to the Lord. You call them in, Lord. They come in right now. Send somebody across that path. Well, I'm just not seeing it. No, no, no. Taleo! Come on, y'all. Some of you got to get this cranked up a little bit. This is God's word for you. You've been dealing and sitting with this and being sorry for yourself and -and so-and-so is not nice to me. Taleo! How do you know the devil's working on you? Tell you've been feeling a little lonely. People are being mean to you. That's how the devil's been working on your life. People are just being mean to me. Yeah, they're going to get meaner. The Bible says so. So what are you going to do? Well, if we could just all be nicer. Nicer isn't the problem. What do we need? Taleo. We need to know what the finished work is. People may not like you. Guess what? He does. That's good news. Somebody actually likes you. (laughs) That's good news. All right, let's lift our hands. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We receive the finished works of Jesus in our life right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Church, say this with me. I am free. Come on, I am free. I'm not saying this to get us hyped up, but to really see it. This door has been open. I want you to see when you walked out that door, I am free. I'm not saying it to make it true. I'm saying it because it is true. I am free. Those guilty thoughts. Come on, say it. I am free. That condemnation of how you nasty you were, what you should have done better. I am am free. Sickness trying to attach itself to your body. No, 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 no. What do I say? I am free. Ah, finances. Oh man, I just, I don't know how this is going to work out. Oh, this, oh, this, the the great recession. Gas is, gas went down nine cents. Oh, what, 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 what's going on? I am free. That's the sound. If you're looking for a, a national anthem of heaven, This is what Christians should be singing. I'm free. I'm free. Would you please stand for the national anthem? I'm free! (laughs) I bet you Jesus will just say, Taleo! And we go, I'm free! Jesus goes, Taleo! We go, I'm free! It's a simple response to what Taleo has done. Come on, I'll just pretend to be Jesus for a second. You be you. Okay, I like pretending to be Jesus because I feel, you know, it just feels good. Taleo! Taleo! Oh, man, Jesus. Do you know what that sound is like to heaven? Ah, there's my kids taking what I purchased for them. You know what it looks like in hell? Shoot, they know! Free people can help slaves. You're free. Help slaves. Get them out of there. Pull them out with everything you got. How do we show it? With the love of God. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Julian, come up here before I sweat more. We'll do it.